Let me begin this morning. I want to begin with a little bit of a confession. For the longest time, I felt this emptiness. It was like there was something missing in my life. Um, I tried to fill it with sports, entertainment, tried to fill it with things or money, but nothing seemed to fill the void. But then I saw a commercial, and I realized something that there was an iPhone-shaped hole in my heart, and I just had to have it. And for a thousand dollars, I could have this device, and it would solve all of my problems. I'm poking fun. But there's something true about it. I mean, there's amazing, this sort of godlike wonder, isn't there, in these advertisements, especially with Apple and, and all of these devices, and it's amazing. And I think about where we have come from, I'm going to date myself just a little bit, but uh, when I was a, uh, a young young guy in seminary, I got to go to uh, a youth specialties conference. This would have been in the early 90s, and uh, there's a couple thousand youth pastors in the room, so that was an interesting room. But uh, up front, there was a, a speaker. He was a futurist, and uh, this futurist, futurist was trying to tell us the kind of world that that these kids that we were going to serve were going to inherit and, and kind of live into, and He got started talking about cell phone technology. And he said, there's going to come a day when cell phones are about the size of a credit card and fit in your front pocket. And we were just all like, what? That's incredible to think that. But now, you know, I had a flip phone, you know, it fit right there. And and those first smartphones were even that small. It's amazing. About that same time, I was actually in a Bible study with an electrical engineer and it was fascinating. He worked for Bell Labs, which is now Lucent Technologies. And uh, he was on a team that helped develop HDTV. And so he'd come in and he'd kind of share with, with like, especially the guys were kind of interested. Like He would tell us what he was working on. And he said, yeah, it's amazing. You can actually see with clarity from any angle uh, this, this picture. And, and it can be the size of the wall. And it's really thin and it's amazing. And, and we were just going, wow. It's incredible. And it's funny, just a few weeks ago, I'm, I'm up in Waverly telling that story, and up in the front seat, there's a bunch of college students there just going, what? What's the big deal? Well, for me, I'll tell you what the big deal is. It was a big deal when my parents bought a 20-inch color television, and it filled up half the room. You know what I mean? I mean, that was a big deal. So you think about how far we have come. And in many ways, I love technology. It's amazing to me. All of the things that you can do with it and the way that we're connected and able to be connected. However, (laughs) however, it seems like we are hurting ourselves. And I'm not just talking about driving and texting. A new article in the Harvard Business Review says that, quote, despite our increasing connectedness, society is seeing rising levels of loneliness. This epidemic is not only harming people's health, it's also making workers less productive and engaged at work. There was a recent article that I read that was basically begging parents to to help get rid of their kids' smartphones. Why? Because it was literally changing their brains and how they are relating to one another. Just this last week, I read another article that was very sobering. It says one in four girls under the age of 14 are deeply depressed or anxious and they're recognizing social media and smartphones as part of the problem. So what do we do? 
This modern world, particularly with all the media devices that we have, from gaming consoles to smartphones to computers, they are intended to fill every moment of our lives, right? In fact, they're designed to be that way. Developers create apps to push notifications so that you will check your phone. And we will be online and we will be connected all the time. And they're available to us everywhere we go, 24-7. And while they are great tools for so many different things, we're more anxious, we're more lonely, we're more distracted than ever. So the question is, what can we do? Well, over the last four weeks, we've been asking that question. And we've been looking at, really, ancient wisdom. We want to look to the Bible. What does the Bible have to say to us? And we've been looking at one little story in the book of Luke. It's found in, in Luke chapter 10. I want to read it for you from, from Luke's gospel, starting in verse 38. It's the story of Martha and Mary. And I want to look at it through a particular lens. And I know that we've looked at this through different lenses over these last few weeks. I hope that you've gained something. And I hope you'll gain something today. But here's what it says. Just the context is, of course, Jesus and his disciples are itinerants. They wander. <laughs> they, were, they walked around. And Jesus taught in different places. And they were just basically had to rely on the hospitality of others. And it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So an amazing act of hospitality. It was a great gift. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Interesting dynamic between the sisters. But, so then, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now let me just back up. That word distracted in that verse literally means pulled apart. That's where we got the series title. This idea of being pulled apart. Don't you care, she asks, that Mary's sitting at your feet while I'm doing all the work. It's interesting, Jesus' response. Let me read that. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset. There's that word again. It's the same Greek word, literally pulled apart. You're pulled apart emotionally, Martha, about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's interesting. Martha was distracted and pulled apart, but Mary had a different response. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better. I find that fascinating. It's an amazing response. Why in the world would Jesus say that? In fact, Jesus seems to be advocating this idea that we need to be creating time and space to be with Jesus. And she's saying that's the better way. Mary has chosen the better way. So why? I want to explore that a little bit. Why? Why would Jesus say that? And how does that relate to us today in this world that we've, we've inherited, in this world that we've created for ourselves? Well, first of all, let me suggest uh, a few things. But the first thing is this, because time to replenish and rest are really part of God's good creation. 
Time to replenish and rest are part of God's good creation. It's intended to be a gift to us that we rest and we find rest. I want to turn back to Genesis chapter 1 and read from there just a few verses. The story is the story of creation and it's day 6. And it says, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And then God does this. He gives this mandate, if you will. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God says, I want you to work. He gives a mandate. I want you to be productive. I want you to work. I want you to be fruitful. Multiply. Do those things. Work this, this thing called creation. But then, I don't know, you know, if it's just because I'm a guy, this word, this language, fill the earth, I, I, I always thought that that was about procreation. You know? But it's not. It's not fully about that. It literally means replenish. Replenish the earth. There's something about we have this mandate to work and be productive, but then we're also to replenish the earth. To replenish. Now, I go back and I thought about that word and I went back to my childhood and my, my grandfather farmed, uh, when I was a kid and I would often go out to the farm and my, my grandfather's basic way of farming was that he would rotate crops in different fields. How many of you can relate to that? You, you understand that? Now, why would he do that? The whole idea was that it would replenish the land, so to speak. That certain plants would take certain nutrients out of the soil and certain crops would, would add things. And so the whole goal was that in time it would actually be more productive if you did this sort of rotational uh, way of farming. Now, I know techniques have changed. But that idea of working and replenishing is still very important. You think about that in athletics too, right? How many of you have had coaches that say, you know what, you need to rest and you also need to replenish. We're going to work hard, but I want you to go get your rest. I want you to get eat right, stay away from sugar. This idea of replenishment. So then, let me just continue reading. God saw all that He had made and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He had been doing. So on the seventh day, He rested from all His work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, He rested from all the work of creating that He had done. Amazing. So God gets done. He sees what He's created. He says, wow, this is really good. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to rest. Now, do you think God needed to rest? No. I don't think God needed to rest, but He built it in so because I think He he knew that we needed to rest. And that part of replenishment is this idea of resting. Now, let me just take it just a little bit further because He takes this idea of resting, this one day in seven to rest, and He puts it into His top ten. The Ten Commandments. I don't know if you know those, those top ten, the Ten Commandments. There's three at the very beginning of the, of the Ten Commandments. They're all about God. You know, not to have any other God before me or don't make any, you know, images or idols and don't take the Lord's name in vain. 
And then number four is this idea of resting. It's kind of interesting. And then there's six more commands. And it's all about the other. Honoring your father and mother. Don't, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, don't do all of those things. Now, to me, it's all, you know, the Ten Commandments, you could look at it this way. All about loving God, and it's all about loving the other. But in the middle is this one sort of phrase about rest. About resting. In fact, if you're going to love God well, it's almost as if God is saying, I want you to rest. If you're going to love the other well, you need to be rested. Now let's go back to the story just for a second. What if Martha is just tired? I mean, it would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, she's hosting about 15 people at least. I don't know about you, but I know this. When, when I am tired, tasks get huge. And my patience with other people runs thin. But when I'm rested, all of a sudden those tasks don't seem so big. And my ability to love the other and care for the other is much greater. So here's the question. Does my pace, does your pace, does your schedule, do your devices allow you to rest? Now here's a a deeper question. Maybe the more important question is this. Does my phone or do my gaming console, do my computer, does, does that allow me to love God and to love other people better? You know, I, I read somewhere that we check our phones 150 times a day. That's Some expert said that. I don't know if it's true, but I guess there's an app that will actually track it for you if you want to know. And that when we check it, we swipe three to 5,000 times a day. It's amazing. It's like we fill our time, all of our time, with something. And is it really allowing us to rest and replenish? Is it really allowing me to, to love my spouse or my children or my coworkers or my neighbor better? That's really the question, isn't it? I know this, that, that it's a great temptation. And, you know, I, I think we're trying to do some boundaries around this whole thing of technology in our house, in our home. But I catch myself, and it's crazy, wanting to check my email or wanting to check my phone and, and respond to this text or respond to this certain thing. And then I go to bed, <laughs> and it's like I'm just awake. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? Because I'm not really resting. I'm not disconnecting and replenishing. You know, in our house, we've, we've kind of uh, decided that we are going to make certain places and certain times in our home that there are no tech zones. Like, so one of them is at our dinner table. We've just decided that this is a place where we want to look each other in the eye and have conversation. And we don't want to be distracted by phones or TVs or computers or any of that. We've also tried, and I know we sometimes do better than others, but we've said there are no devices in your bedrooms. No phones, no computers, no TVs. Why? Because we want it to be a sanctuary. A place where you can rest. 
place where you can disconnect and replenish. It's so important. It's God's gift. And we need it. So maybe in your own life, where are those places where you're disconnecting? I know certain families, they'll simply power down and say, you know what? No more internet at a certain time. Maybe that's for you. I don't know. So why? Why would Jesus be advocating this need for us to create time and space? Well, maybe we just need to rest. And we need to replenish our soul. Here's the second reason I want to give this morning is that Jesus Himself modeled something. He prioritized time to be with the Father. Now, I doubt any of us would argue that Jesus' life was very effective and quite productive. In fact, He was given the same 24 hours that we have today. And the same time in a week that we have today. And yet, what we know about his life is he was incredibly productive. Incredibly effective. He did amazing things. He changed the world, didn't he? And so in many ways, he was incredibly busy, too. I want to just share just a a day in the life of Jesus. And it comes from Mark's Gospel in chapter 1. I want to read a few verses, but just to give context again. This is the Sabbath, like a Sunday morning. okay? And he's in a synagogue and he teaches... And people are amazed at his teaching. And then someone who's demon-possessed comes up to him and he casts out the demon. So suddenly he's got the whole community talking about him. The word's out about Jesus. But he decides that he's going to go with his friends, these disciples, to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. And she's ill. So she wa- he walks in and heals her. She, now, now all of a sudden she's helping serve Uh, the disciples, but the community is at the front door. The whole town, it says, came. And there he cast out demons and he, and he healed and he probably taught and prayed and did all of these things. So he ministered, uh, into the night. And then it says in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! And Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now it's interesting to me, you begin to see this pattern in Jesus. Whenever there is a sort of uh, a tipping point or a turning point in his ministry, where do you find him in the Gospels? You find him going off to a certain place to pray. You can just follow it, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. It's amazing. In certain moments of his life, that's the pattern that he went. He went and met with the Father. And what did he do? He reconnected with the Father. He was reminded of who he was and what the Father had sent him to do. He wasn't people-pleasing. So if I could summarize Peter's sort of response in today's language, I would say this. Peter comes to him and said, Hey, everyone's looking for you. You know, Jesus, if you want to be the Savior of the world, you really ought to be responding to this, the, these uh, texts. You ought to be looking on getting more followers on Twitter. And you ought to be out there on Facebook and all this social media. We need to leverage this moment, Jesus. 
And he says, no. <laughs> That's not why I've come. That's not why I've come. And he reconnects with the Father. He's reminded of who he is and what he's come to do. And I think he may be saying to Martha, Mary stopped. And I'm inviting you and Martha and you, Mary, to be with me. To remind you of who you are. And what I want you to do. It's interesting, when I was a young pastor, I got invited by an older pastor. He invited me and a couple other uh, pastors to come, and he wanted to mentor us. And it was really a gift. And I'll never forget him telling a story. We were sitting in a circle about a young uh, doctor in his congregation that came to him. And he was very successful as a surgeon in his community. And um, But this doctor, this young doctor was just overwhelmed. He was anxious. He was literally depressed and he was afraid that he was going to make a mistake and, and all of these things and he could barely function. And so the, my pastor friend got with him and said, you know what, I think you need to step away. I think you need to take, take a, just a respite. And so he worked out with his, with his clinic that he could step away. And so my friend met with him and began meeting with him every day. And they would come together and he, he began talking about Jesus and he led him to the Lord. But then they, they began opening up Scripture together and praying together. And they began this pattern of this idea of meeting with Jesus every day. And slowly this doctor, his demeanor changed, his whole sort of inside changed. He was no longer pulled apart, but he was experienced wholeness. And he re-entered into his practice and his practice more than doubled It was amazing. Why? Because he was reminded again of who he was and what God had created him to do. But then, this pastor friend said something to this group of of other pastors, and I'll never forget it, and I want to share it with you today because I think it's so important. He said this, he said, You are never more creative than when you meet with the Creator. Of the universe. You are never more powerful than when you are with the one who is the sovereign Lord. You are never more loving than when you are with the one who is called love, who epitomizes love. You're never more patient than when you're with the one who is long suffering and merciful and kind because we become who we are with. Maybe Jesus was saying to Mary and Martha, I want to model something, and Mary is modeling something of just stopping and being with me. Jesus prioritized time with the Father. Here's the last thing I want to share this morning. The weary, and I'll say the lonely, can experience companionship and rest with Jesus. Why would Jesus say to to Martha, Mary's chosen what is better? Why? Because the weary and the lonely can experience companionship and rest with Jesus. Some of the most beautiful words in the New Testament, the words of Jesus, come from 
Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, where Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and have burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's three things I think Jesus says. The first is this, we must come. (laughs) We must come to Him. The invitation is there. And I think He wants us to come wholeheartedly. And He doesn't want us to come trying to figure it all out before we go. Just come to Me. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your temptation, whatever your burden, whatever it is, come to Me. That's an amazing invitation. That's the first thing Jesus says. Come. Why are you running off in all these other directions? Come to Me. And then He says something else. He says, learn from Me. Learn from Me. Take up this yoke and learn from me. Recently, I was at a farm. It was a farm for draft horses. The owner raised draft horses. Now, I don't know if you've been around those animals. They are incredible creatures. Amazing. And the owner was uh, training a young horse. And it was so fascinating to be there during this time because he literally uh, would hitch up this, this young horse with a lead horse that he'd you know, trained for years and years, and they were hitched together. And and I remember watching them, and it was like this young horse just wanted to go, wanted to go on its own, wanted to just take off. And and whenever that would happen, this lead horse, the, the owner didn't have to do anything. The lead horse would just simply stop. And that young horse would he- feel all the weight, all the burden, and it couldn't go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, it realized, you know what? I'd better off if I just stopped. So it would. Surrendered. Surrendered. And then the lead horse would go. And for a little while, they'd follow in line and tandem. It was a beautiful thing. And then all of a sudden, that, lead, that, that young horse wanted to get out in front again. And they would stop and just wait. Wait patiently. And then they'd come together. It's amazing. I think that's a picture of what Jesus wants to do with us. Just come learn from me. Come join up with me. I want to teach you something. I want to teach you about this life, this rhythm of grace, this rhythm of life. You know, again, I'll look back when I was a young pastor. I had this opportunity to go on a series of retreats. I don't even know why I went. I think I went because I, it was paid for me. So I had no clue what I was getting myself into. But I didn't understand this idea, this rhythm, if you will, of learning from Jesus and being with Jesus. And so I go in, into this thing and I'm like, okay, what am I getting myself into? And the very first time we're there, and it's uh, about 20 other pastors in this group, uh, we're sent out for a six-hour time frame of silence and sort of solitude. Woo! I had never done anything like that before in my life. 
And so, you know, we're kind of sent out with just ourselves and we go. And I remember the first 15 minutes, I thought, wow, I was thinking about my sermon for the next week. I was thinking about who I should call and who I need to be with and all of these things. And I was thinking, oh, man, my family, I haven't really connected with them. My mind just going like crazy. And I was thinking about all these things and I get about 15 minutes going in. I'm like, 15 minutes. It's crazy. So then I get up and I go for a walk and, and I, and I walk for a long time and, and I kept thinking about all these things and I finally sit down. Okay, I'm going to read something and I'm maybe about an hour into this thing. I'm going, this is, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden my body just went, woo, just stopped. And I remember, wow, I got to lay down. And I took a nap. I mean, I took this nap that was just the best nap ever. I was literally drooling on the, on my pillow, you know, kind of nap. And I, and I slept like, like a baby. And I woke up and I was startled because, oh my goodness, I have to go and I have to report what we did. And I'm thinking, guilt. And so I get up and I'm rubbing the lines out of my face and I'm trying to get ready to go. And I go into this room and the very first question, out of the guy who was facilitating this thing was, how many of you took a nap? Well, guess what? Everyone in the room raised their hand. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it was like, crazy. And he said, you know what? That's what you needed. That's what you needed. And over time, I began learning that this time with Jesus was really valuable important and I didn't have to perform just had to had to be and I could come with whatever maybe we need to do that too Jesus is inviting us maybe it's time to put down the devices and find rest in Jesus let's pray Father, thank You so much that You are God who cares for us, who loves us, who wants us to experience the fullness of Your joy and the fullness of life. God, we are so easily distracted, and some of us have a better relationship with our phone than maybe even our our kids. Lord, help us to navigate that. Help us to know what to do with that. Lord, I pray that we would uh, find time, find time to be with you, find time to be with those that we love. Help us to rest, God, so that we can do the work that you're calling us to do, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.